This is the Ed Milet Show. All right, welcome back, everybody. I am so grateful that this man sitting across from me is here today for a lot of reasons. Number one, he's changed so many lives in my lifetime, and I grew up listening to him on Loveline. I'm 51 years old, so if you're anywhere near my age, you grew up with this man. But more importantly, he had a pretty big impact on my own family. I was sharing this with him on the phone the other day that many of you know that my dad got sober. And in my dad's sobriety, he would constantly share this man's messages and ideas and thoughts with me on a really regular basis. And he's just one of the smartest dudes on the planet. And so I'm really grateful to have Dr. Drew sitting in this seat finally across from me F- today. Finally, indeed. It's such a privilege. We have mutual friends. Yep. We kind of live near each we other do. in weird ways. Right. It's all odd, but it's, I'm so glad I'm here. <laughs> it is odd. <laughs> we can walk down the beach to each other's places. Indeed. I stood out in front of it three days ago wondering <laughs> if you were in the my favorite house in this entire th- – in probably all of that town. That's, I don't know if you've flown – tell people where it is but yep. but it's my favorite home and i remember when it was built 45 years ago i was yeah. guarding that beach actually no kidding yeah you've been so, there that long yeah i've been there 50 years well, i'm glad you like my house now no. i need to come over to it i i, tr- I told you i stood out in front of it waiting for you <laughs> i'll be there again trust me all right we'll have a cocktail ready for you or something so the reason i wanted you on is i'm fascinated by the human condition me too and also human conditioning okay and the conditioning that goes on in culture and society that yes. can change the way human beings behave yes. and treat one another. And you're an expert on so many different things, but one of them is addiction. Mm. You said something to me the other day on the phone. I just want to start with this because I think there's a lesson in it for everybody. I said, you know, my dad, when he was sober, went to five or six meetings a week, and he also helped a bunch of other people in their sobriety. And I was telling you how special this person was that really changed my dad's life that yep. helped him get sober. And you said something back to me that I think is a lesson for everybody in sobriety or not, just about life in general. So what I said was, uh, you need to understand that what that gentleman, I know it's a man because males are only able to sponsor males, uh, would tell you is uh, the service he provided for your dad kept him sober. That his sobriety dependent on being available and of service to other people. Mm. And the more effective that service, the more sort of filling it is, and the more likely mm. he is to stay sober another day. Mm. And you think there's a lesson for that in life? That oh, my God. It, it's, it's, sobriety is so funny. It's, just, it's, it's taking all the basic fundamental principles of living well, living a certain kind of life right. that's meaningful and, and regulated and helps the human feel fulfilled – and just putting it into a little program. That's it, all it is. It and is. but it at its core, being with and around other people and being of service. Yeah. Having some faith, getting out of your own head, having gratitude. These are all, I'm sure, principles that you come across all the time. All the time. But there's this element. See, I think all these things are sort of interconnected. And this is why that everybody today's I guess overall today is like being happier, being more functional, having more bliss, being more productive. But I've watched a lot of your content, mm. and you talk a lot about narcissism. Oh, boy. And I think these two things are sort of correlated to some extent, that the more narcissistic we become, to some extent, the more self-centered we become in our life, but the less we are in service of other people because we are so focused on, unless that makes us feel good, yeah. the less we are focused on other people, it, it leads to a lack of happiness in someone's life. So I want to start out because your version of narcissism is a little bit different than I've heard it from other people before. So yeah. what is the definition of a narcissist? So so people think about narcissism in the sort of common lexicon as being somebody that's self-preoccupied or thinks a lot of themselves, which is really 
not typical narcissism. That it can be a, that can be a way it manifests, and, and malignant narcissists certainly present that way. But narcissism, really at its core, is a feeling of being small and empty. Really, it's an injury in childhood that leaves somebody disconnected from their core self such that the only way they can feel okay is to get from the environment what they need to fill that emptiness and that smallness. Mm. And oftentimes one of those strategies is to make myself feel big, you know, get my get everyone around me to think I'm great or have lots of uh, power or money or something so I I'm feeling buttressed against this inner core that is very fragile and empty. You know, emptiness is a very common feeling in narcissism. And so really at, at its core it's a, it's a it's a smallness and an injury and a, and a wound it's not a bigness and a preoccupation and a vanity because that's just what's on top to protect the core. Okay. So when you said this the time that I heard it, it makes me emotional to say. Mm. I thought, I think I'm a narcissist. Well, pretty much everybody is today. That, that's the why I was uh, working in a psychiatric, I started working in a psychiatric hospital in 1985. And they have, we had these admitting sheets, you know, where the, the, the various diagnoses would be put down and always the, the, the personality assessment would be there too. And when I got there, it, there's different personality, A, B, and C mm -hmm. clusters. And they were all over the place. There are all kinds of different personalities, obsessive compulsive personalities and dependent personalities. Around 1988, I noticed it all started shifting to sort of cluster B. And by the mid 90s, it was only cluster B, mm. which is the narcissistic cluster. And there's a lot of literature out there, and Christopher Lash predicted this, that shows that we've had this narcissistic turn, where narcissism is a very, very common sort of feature of um, how we manage our lives these days. It's a, it's a personality style, and it might be, I think, I suspect it is, the result of uh, a whole wave of childhood trauma we went through in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And do you think there's something like social media contributes to this form oh, of narcissism? Yeah, yeah, like in what sense? You've written about this, but I just want them to hear your version well, of this because I just feel like the two things you just opened up with, one is the service of others and how yeah. that helped my dad stay sober and others stay sober yes. and brings a level of just bliss to your life and yes. value. Yes. The, out, the other side of that coin to some extent is so self-focused, so yeah. trying to fill that hole and, that you've described. And that's a never-ending treadmill. That right. goes nowhere. Right. That just keeps going, going, going. And it can feel good. It can get you high, but it's an addiction at that point. And you're just in it and just, and it never fills anything. It never really regulates. So, so I, I think there's a lot of ways to think about these conditions of the human being. But one of the things that I focus on or like thinking about is how humans regulate, yep. how they can connect with spontaneous affect, experience it, regulate it share it with others. That's actually a taller. I, I had to have 11 years of therapy before I really got that. And uh, You had therapy. Me? Oh, prolonged therapy. I, I was, uh, well, it's a couple things. My, my wife sent me in. She was like, mm. she was, it's one of those, I had one of those phone conversations with her where she's like, you need to see a therapist. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I know I need to. I'm going to. Mm -hmm. I, I made me a better, you know, better to work with patients. She goes, and she just goes, Listen to me. <laughs> you need to see the hair stood up on the back of my neck. And I was like, oh, got it. I put the phone down, <laughs> called somebody, got a referral, and started going right then. Mm. And um, greatest experience I ever had. And uh, healed a lot of my own narcissistic injuries because I had narcissistic parents. And that's how you get narcissistic injuries. It tends to feed on itself. I wanted to ask you about that. So I'm prepping for this. 
you've always seemed to me, obviously your intellect levels through the roof, but over the years, I'm like, this dude just has it together. Oh, I don't know about that. No, but you, but you know that that's the impression, right? Okay. You know well, that I, well, let me be the first to tell you. I have generalized anxiety disorder. I, I had panic. Uh, I'm prone to depression. I'm, I'm, it's rearing its head again lately a little bit. Me and, too. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we all are human beings and we have brains and those brains have these proclivities. And uh, the, I, getting it, having it all together is almost anathema to me. I almost don't even understand what that is. I, I am grateful for a ton. Mm -hmm. And I've had a really productive, really good life. I've had the, and one of the greatest things I've had is the opportunity to see the human experience through a lens that very few yeah. people do. My days for 20 years, or certainly 15 years, was getting up at 5.30 in the morning, doing intensive care rounds, then hospital rounds, then outpatient medical patients, and then I would go to the psychiatric hospital Gosh. and do a full day there and ended up running their addiction services. And... I saw everything. You have seen and, everything. And it was just such a, I'm so grateful to have had that. Now I just want to give it back. I just want to give it because I had this crazy experience. Well, I think you've done that. I mean, I, but I want to stay on something there because yeah. you went to therapy. Yeah. And the reason I think it's so important that both you and I say, hey, look, we don't have it together. Because I think the impression probably for both of us is that we do. And people but come to us for advice and counsel, right? So, yeah, well, <laughs> being available for service and counsel is is. You don't have to have it together, really, to do that. But it's it's just think about the brain like um, our heart. Uh, mm -hmm. Although the two are deeply connected, and I have a lot to say about that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we're in shape, and our heart right. is. You know, we have mm -hmm. a mapped on hopefully cardiac mm -hmm. output and yep. cardiac workloads and things. And uh, don't think about the brain any differently. Even though I may have certain proclivities in my heart, you know, I have heart disease in my family, and mm -hmm. who knows what's going to happen mm -hmm. to my heart because I have a heart. Hearts right. have, get sick. Things happen. Yep. Same thing happens with brains. Same things. Mm. Not and, because my heart has it all together. My brain has it all together. And you think that – I want to talk about brain and heart coherence yeah. in a minute. However, just stay on the brain thing for a yeah. second. So you talked about there being this injury when we're young yeah. um, of some type that can create this. Yeah. Um, are most people aware of what they are? And like in your case – so I, you know, I think your dad was a GP, right? Your dad was, he a, was general a family pr practitioner, yeah. a family practitioner, and then your uncle was actually a psychiatrist, correct? Right? So you had this really diverse medical background in yep. your family, yet you, I've heard you talk about your dad a little bit lately, and mom, and you just said it a minute ago that they both had narcissistic tendencies. Yep. Um, I want to know how you think that impacted you. Oh well, and 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 by the way, when someone's listening to this, how do you? How do they know whether or not they had an impact like that as a child? Is there emotions they'd be experiencing now that are indicative of you've probably got an injury? Yeah. Uh, there's many, many ways. Uh, I, I think the the first and foremost way is – I should have a piece of paper and a pen because I have so many things yeah. I want to say. Sasha, let's get a piece of paper <laughs> so, and a pen. So uh, how you function in relationships is numero uno. Okay. So if you are – you know, having problems empathizing or having problem compromising all the things that make for good relationships or being intimate, that's a sign. And that's that's really where our I always used to like say this when we when we did Love Line. Our craziness enters the room through relationships. That's where you see it. That's where you see stuff. Okay. But in my case, I can just so people have a, a little model for how, how mm -hmm. I experience it. I had sort of a uh as a relation to my dad, it was a very kind of this is going to sound pejorative, but I don't mean it that way. He was like a closeted narcissist. Mm -hmm. Very, everyone loved him. He was a nice mm -hmm. guy. He was an excellent doctor. Had great judgment, and thank God I inherited some of that. But uh, I was there to serve his needs. <laughs> that is narcissism. Mm -hmm. uh, when you, when you're as a parent, you were there to be present for the child 
and that's it. Mm. To be present, keep them safe, and to be present. And while they go out and struggle with the world, your home base that they come back to. Mm. If when that child comes back to home base, I as a parent have a bunch of needs that that child has to attend to, mm. that's a narcissistic injury right away. That's mm. parenting the parent. So I had lots of that. Mm. Uh, and it made me highly attuned and highly effective with other narcissists yes. because you're know, responsible for his feelings all the time yes. and, if, and if his feelings were protected he would get wounded you know mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff and so i've had many narcissistic bosses that i was extremely but i subjugated my own needs to the mm -hmm. boss and mm -hmm. when you realize after a while you're like hey wait a minute this isn't working for me and mm -hmm. yet the boss is always like yes you're the best you're the only one you're the perfect thank you for being that guy for me mm -hmm. and it's so seductive when you're, you're right when you've been in that relationship with a parent like that mm -hmm. it's very challenging to get out. I want to interject one thing. I just hope everybody listening to this is hearing this through the filter of prisms of other relationships that you're currently yes, in. Yes, for sure. Because it, that, it, it, that that addictive, I'm going to help you and, and well, serve your needs thing. And, or fix you yes. or whatever it is. Our job is to be present and close. That's mm. that's it. That's what a good relationship is. Mm. Fully present, the, the totality of our being and body, right? Yeah. The brain is embedded in the body and the body is a major part of what the brain is doing. Mm. Uh, and being fully present and with the other person uh, and available. And then my mom was flat out emotionally abusive, it was just like really emotionally abusive, like severely. And so that was critical and, and uh, harsh, and yelling and harsh. I mean, yelling. I'd only heard yelling like hers once in the whole time I s spent those thirty years in the psychiatric hospital. Only one time did I go, "Oh, that's familiar." Really? Yeah, it's like really crazy yelling. And how did that manifest uh, itself in your life in a good way and a bad way? That my dad's part had some good stuff to it because it, you know again strategically mm -hmm. right? and also well I'll tell you here's the good way uh, when you have somebody like my mom in your life you as a child learn that your survival depends on that person not yeah. freaking out or getting angry at you mm -hmm. so you would get you get highly attuned yes to another person and their emotions and mm -hmm. regulating them yes that's where codependency comes from mm -hmm. okay I'm I'm an, was I'm, I'm over the top codependent that's my proclivity. All right. And therapy, thank God, has reestablished boundaries and I can I can mm. tell the difference between another person's feelings and my own. Mm. I had trouble early on in my career, people's other people's pain I would experience so profoundly. Yeah. It was really my pain being activated. Me but too. I thought it was the other you know, and so I'd have to save them from their pain, mm. which is not what they need. They mm. need you present while they build and struggle the pain against the, the injury that they've had, not a rescuer, because then they're permanently in need of rescuing, wow. right? So uh, that uh, sense of taking care of other people, once I got that regulated, oh, mm -hmm. the, the, the side effect of that is you stop listening to your own emotions because you're busy looking out there and you start experiencing yourself through other people and your own primary affects are way off in the distance mm -hmm. if you can hear them, feel them at all. Mm -hmm. And so my work in therapy was really getting reconnected again regulating the feelings and being fully present and it this was a great my, experience i want you to know something i've done 600 shows this is already one of my favorite conversations oh, ever. Good. and the reason is this sounds really familiar to me well if, to a lot yeah. of people this yeah. is this is the this yeah. is the thing so as i said you know by mid 90s it was all cluster b personality disorders which are the narcissistic disorders mm -hmm. and we've you know and as i and all these years on loveline all i heard about was childhood injury it's all every call because of mm -hmm. course it would manifest in the relationships mm -hmm. the other thing about these injuries is we recreate them in our present lives and so there's something about the human 
Freud called it repetition compulsion. People call people, psychologists call it need for mastery over trauma. We don't know what it is. It is a wiring thing. It's some. I guarantee you, it's biological because it's so reproducible and so profound. Which is when and people don't think about how they get into these recreations. And I've thought a lot about it. When we've had trauma in our relationships in childhood, we are attracted to people and places that are just like the circumstances of the trauma of our past. People will say it's an attempt to master it or make it right. I don't know. Mm. We're just attracted It's to familiar it. for sure. Right? Sometimes profoundly attractive. Yeah. We, we always tell people, if you're feeling lightning bolts, attraction to something, and you've had that kind of trauma, and by the way, you've been here before, this is a repetition, yeah. it will happen again. You're a Gosh. perfect instrument. And so you get in it and you get re-traumatized and the whole thing gets recreated because it's the same kind of person. It's mm. the same person that tra- traumatized you in the first place, mm. and you're the perfect victim for that person. So you go together and away, away it happens all over again. Do you have any theory, as we talk about this on percentage of people that have a high degree of happiness in their life. I think about this a lot. Like I, you did this study on the narcissistic tendencies yeah. of celebrities. Yeah. That was pretty fascinating. You yeah. can talk a little bit about that if you want, yeah. but you and I both have worked or are around, let's just be real, lots of very rich, successful, and famous people. Mm. And I have found the vast majority of them are in lack of some sort of bliss in their life and peace in For their sure. life. For sure. That's why I did that study. I was well, during the, you know, they'd come on Loveline and they would unload their stuff on me during the commercial breaks. <laughs> and I'd go, oh, Jesus. And I learned quickly that people that are celebrities, and we were able to prove with our study that, that celebrity itself is a bid to manage narcissistic injuries, to try to repair it. Remember that I said you got to get from the environment yes. what you need? Yes. Never works. Doesn't Never work works. Really. Do you, what, uh, in addition to that, because by the way, I've not found that just with celebrities. I found that with just people that have produced high levels of success that potentially the external results, they're filling this. And by the way, I'm describing me to some extent, but not all, but many are trying to fill this hole with yeah. external achievement. Yeah, yeah. And it can be incredibly depressing because then they get there. Never and they're enough. like, and Never even enough. this isn't enough. And enough. even this isn't enough. And I, I'm wondering even with you. With what you've achieved in your life, you've had a lot of notoriety, you've had a lot of fame, you've helped a lot of people. I wonder even with you, did it fill up what you were looking for it to fill up or uh, unconsciously looking for it to fill up? I think, who knows why I, I, was, att- I was attracted very early to using media to, to make a difference. That was sort of my, my thinking on it. Uh, it's interesting in recent years, that same interest isn't there in the same way. Yeah. I'm just not as motivated. I'm not as same. interested. Um, even though I think it's a great outlet and a great, it can do great good, it's not as interesting. It's also become more painful. You're always under attack and stuff. It's, yep. it's crazy. You've had a lot of that. Crazy stuff. Yep. Um, but I, I look back on the things I've done and I am extremely grateful. Mm-hmm. So that gratitude feels like it it did do what I wanted it to do. Mm-hmm. I was able to you have these interesting creative experiences where I made a difference. I, I don't, it doesn't get better than that. Yeah. And so I it, it it to the extent that it was filling something. By the time, let's see when when was I? I was a lot better by around 1996. You already were. Yeah. But there's a difference, Drew, between and I look at this for me too. I look back at my life. Hope this is as deep for everybody else as it is for me, but. I do have gratitude for the experiences I've had. I have, um, I feel blessed that I've been able to make a difference or got to have these experiences or grow in certain ways and have the understandings of myself and others that I've I feel I've like created. there's a but behind that. 
but I didn't enjoy them as I was doing them. Oh. In other words, it's only in yes. retrospect, and I'm wondering mm. this with you too. No, I enjoyed them while I was doing them. You enjoyed I, I, I the journey. Them. I loved everything. I, I was so I was enjoying and grateful all the way along. Uh, uh, you know, there were there's parts in my I was a severe workaholic. That was one of the other manifestations of my thing. And and when it was really bad, there was a certain amount of dread then. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I do not know how my wife put up with it for many years. I, I God bless her. I, I don't get it, but she did. And uh, once I got through that dread by, by frankly bringing other things in and doing different things, that's that's mm-hmm. where I learned to really appreciate. I, I don't like doing the same thing all the time. I like Me doing either. Lots of different things. I need to be challenged. Yeah. One so f- so I, I yeah. let's look let's look at your thing for a second. So yeah. So not feeling fulfilled along the way, mm-hmm. but being grateful afterwards. Yeah. It's got to be that you're just better now. I think I you're think just that I've, much I've, had, I've had a ton yeah. of healing, and I yeah. think also um, perspective changes over time. Yeah, I, I've done more of the work later in my life than I. I think, like many people, I was just in a hurry to get somewhere I yeah. wasn't. Yeah, I get it, and I, I understand. I, that. I wanted to get somewhere I wasn't as yeah. quickly as I could. Hey, man, the other, the other thing I had on top of me, what, you know, my dad and his family escaped the Holodomor in U- Ukraine, right, and and then got here just in time for the depression, and so. <sighs> I had all of that intergenerational trauma yeah. put down, put upon me, wow. and that's I think where some of the workaholism and had to get somewhere fast kind of feeling came from. Yeah, it did for yeah. me. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about Shopify. You know, when I started the show, the furthest thing from my mind was doing online business, and now I can't imagine my life without it. So I love Shopify because they're a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. So whether you're in the startup phase where you're just launching your online store or you're at that really big business where you're like, hey, we just hit a million bucks in order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. They've helped me through every single stage. I wouldn't even know what to do without them. So whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered big time. They help turn browsers into buyers. They convert their checkouts 36% better than all the leading competitors. And I've used them for everything I do online. So every single thing you see that I market online, Shopify is somehow involved. I wouldn't even know what to do without them. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash mylet, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash mylet now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash mylet. If you listen to this show for a while, you've heard me and my guests talk a lot about how critical it is to have your wellness goals in order, especially lately with me. So you know how powerful visualization is. When you visualize yourself 1, 10, 30 years from now, you've achieved all your goals. Ask yourself this, am I healthy at that point? In your visions, of course you are. But like anything else, without a plan to get and remain healthy, you can't hit the goal. That's why I'm so thrilled to be partnering with Life Force, co-founded by my good friend Tony Robbins and Peter Diamandis. Life Force is a leader in proactive care. The Life Force membership includes everything you need to understand your wellness and help you make good decisions today that keep you on track in the future for your health. Listeners of my show get $250 when they first sign up for their membership by going to mylifeforce.com/ed. That's mylifeforce.com. Slash Ed, take control of your wellness with Life Force and see what the healthiest version of you actually looks like and is capable of. These products and statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now, I also have looked at myself in terms of habits I've developed that are either addictions or dependencies. Mm-hmm. And so 
a lot of people listening to this, I'm so excited to ask you these questions. Is there a difference between dependency and addiction? Oh, yes, 100%. Okay. And, well, and there are even ways of parsing those things out. Okay, let's talk yeah. about that. Let's open that up a little bit. Yeah. Let's, so because, dependency, yeah. let, let's just talk about opiates because opiates can make any human dependent. In other words, if you take an opiate in high enough dose long enough, you will need more to get the effect over time, and you will have withdrawal when you stop. Okay. An addict, when that happens to them and they stop, become permanently preoccupied and the motivations, the motivational system in the brain becomes focused on getting that drug back. Okay. So it's a motivational disturbance. A person who's dependent, while they're dependent, can look like a drug addict. They're, they're trying to avoid withdrawal. They're trying to get drugs. They start manipulating a line to get the drugs. But when they stop, they stop and they stay stopped. Mm. While an addict always goes back or switches to something else because that motivational thing, once the switch is thrown, it's on. What if you're addicted to like a person? Okay. So uh, it's a little I, more complicated. Okay. So a lot but, of that out there. But there's a lot, right? So yeah. I think a lot of people go, I don't have a drug addiction. I don't have an alcohol addiction. But you might have one with something else. And yeah. for me, I think my addiction was somewhat healthy in the, to the extent that I do think work became my drug, became yeah, I, my addiction. I, by the way, now that I'm, for me, interestingly, um, I, I personally will share with you, I have another overlay on the addictive quality of my work, and I've talked to you about that yeah. I was traumatized by my dad and stuff. But um, I think it was also fighting away depression because now when I'm working less, I, I, I like that high of working a lot, and as it goes down, I start feeling the mood sink. Gosh, you, me you too. Know? Yeah, and so I kind of think I there's probably a sweet spot in there somewhere, You're right? But it needs to be a little more than I'm doing right now. I, I told my wife this the other day, and she's like, "What?" I'm like, "I it's just what I need. It's just my thing." It's, same it's, here. It, yeah, I wish you could fix this for me. But well, you have the same perhaps challenge. some medicine can help both of us, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not. Gonna and in the it. meantime, we work out and we exercise and we sleep right and we eat right and all the yep. things that do help mood to the mm -hmm. people that are prone this way. Mm -hmm. But I think. Um, I don't know. We may have to make peace with this and, I, and well, be okay with having to work but, and be and just make sure it's work that's good and fulfilling. That's what all. if your What if your addiction though is a person or okay. a relationship yeah. or, by the way, love, love or just people mm -hmm. in general? It happens a lot. This is now where this thing gets shared all over the planet right now, right? Because I really do feel like there's, at least in my own life, I have some friends that I know have uh, chemical addictions. Mm. I do. They're in my life. I love them. Well. They're dependent, trending towards addiction. I think I have a couple that are addicted based on your definition, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, I, let me define it. Okay. A addiction, so that was dependency. Mm. Addiction is a disease. Addiction is a has a genetic basis. You see mm. a family history. There is some sort of inciting influence, typically trauma. It has a characteristic pathophysiology in the brain. That pathophysiology is reflected in signs and symptoms, using and pursuing and whatever. And those signs and symptoms progress in a very predictable way. We call that a natural history. And the whole thing has a predictable response to treatment. Mm. That's the disease of addiction. That's actually a definition of disease generally. And, and addiction fits it perfectly. The question is, is disease... Uh, is, is addiction a disease or a syndrome? That's the only legitimate question you can ask about it. Because it has a common genetic basis, 
and common pathophysiology, I call that a disease. Do you believe that there's a, on, on drugs or alcohol, do you believe there's a chemical predisposition to be? Genetic. 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 My dad did too. Mm. So you but don't. See, I see, I've treated thousands and thousands of addicts. I can only think of like five where I couldn't see a clear cut family history. Okay. So then based on that definition, I would say I have more friends that are dependent upon other people than they well, are addicted but that's to them. the that's the challenging thing about talking about relationship as addiction. I bristle a little bit at the overuse of the addiction construct. Mm -hmm though it's very useful right, when it comes right. to sex and love. It's very useful. Now, it's not a formal diagnosis. It's not the DSM-5. It, it, is, it is a construct that people use to help people manage these behaviors and these experiences we call drug, excuse me, sex and love addiction. Now, if you are a sex and love addict and you have a chemical addiction, it's all the same thing, yeah. and you have to get it all treated. It's all right. a disease state because you can go from sex to cannabis to opiates to alcohol. You just switch you around all you it. want. You're still doing the same thing with that, your brain. And it's hard to activate throwing the switch, as I was saying. like You, you have that genetic switch that finally gets thrown in the shell of the nucleus accumbens. Hard to do that with behaviors. It's hard. Usually a chemical throws it first. Then you go to gambling. Then you go to sex. It just, it's okay. just, you're, you're just, you're, you know, you can't go over here because that'll kill you. So your brain goes, yeah, but this horse races, that's no big deal. It's just a pastime. <laughs> right? No, I'm laughing, <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's, it's how it's the the crazy thing about the addiction is your brain starts is thinking that's effed up in 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 addiction that your brain convinces you certain things are good mm. when it's just that motivational system that's that's the problem. Mm. So a lot of sex and love addiction is a is a challenging construct. Um, you know, I, I worry about the overutilization. If you're interested in it, uh, Pia Melody has some great books on it. Uh, I think it's called Overcoming Love Addiction or Facing Love Addiction. Facing that's a big one. Yeah. And uh, she talks about the love addiction, love avoidance cycle and the cycles of abuse. She's all lots of great constructs in there that you will see yourself in if there's any sense that you have one of these things. And they're, again, they're very common. It's built off trauma again. Uh, and... And there's various ways to manage it. Um, if you are somebody that keeps getting yourself in situations that are really problematic, either the relationships are not working or you're getting hurt physically or emotionally, you want to look at this. You want to look at it. And, and it's it's useful to think of it as a sex and love addiction sometimes. And the, the one thing that I, I mentioned it earlier, how you'll be attracted to circumstances and people that always end up being the same. Your body's a perfect instrument if you've had that trauma and you'll be attracted to these things and you'll just do it over and over and over again. So when you feel lightning bolts, if you're that person that has this pattern, be beware the lightning bolts, uh, the lightning bolts of attraction. Mm. They call it the coup de foudre en français, and, and it's it's gonna be the same thing all over again. What do you do beyond looking at it? What's something else you can do so you can look at it? But then there's something you got to physically well, change, right? Yeah, I, I always tell people, look, you can, you can. It depends. You know, it's always hard for me. A lot of this I get when I'm just talking to people on telephone and things. Yeah. It's hard for me to tell how serious it is, but I say, well, you can give yourself a try. Try to start dating people you're not having lightning bolts with. Mm. You're just having butterflies. And see if you can hang with it. Or do you sabotage those relationships? Because mm. the, the nature of the trauma makes it really difficult to have real intimacy. Mm. And so intimacy becomes uncomfortable and boring and weird and all these kinds of feelings. And so they either leave or sabotage or something. And so if you can't stay with a relationship that 
is not a lightning bolt relationship, you have to get treatment. Okay. Now you want you can do various things. You can go to a twelve step program. Mm -hmm. I think this kind of thing is best professionally managed yeah. and trauma therapy does tremendous EMDR, things like that. Tremendous and quick. Okay. You start being attracted to and by different kinds of people. Do you wow. Now when someone's gonna get therapy, by the way, people advertise on the show for it as well, mm. but is there any advice you would give to have the right type of therapist? Meaning is there something about them? Yeah, uh, these are hard things. Referrals are helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, you shouldn't, it, it's certainly not at the beginning, you shouldn't love your therapist or feel better necessarily okay. after therapy. You're, the idea is not to feel better. Okay. The idea is to heal. Mm -hmm. And that often feels not so good for a while. Mm -hmm. it, it, it should be challenging. Now, a good therapist should give you tolerable doses of that. So you're not okay. miserable and you're not depressed. Mm -hmm. You just, it, you're not... You should be challenged. It should be challenging. And should, should they have initials gratifying. next to their name of some type? Should well, they? that's where I was going to go. And okay. so, you know, the the sort of <laughs> the best thing is if you have a PsyD, PhD, or MD after mm -hmm. the names. I I think LCSWs make excellent therapists also. Because so they're like, training. It's something about the kind of person that becomes a licensed clinical social worker and their training. Okay. Just they make ex. I've hired a million of them. They excellent therapists. Uh, and this just seems to be a consistent thing. I, I always worry that it's just in Southern California or something because that's <laughs> right. where I work with all these people. Right. But it's been my my own therapist is an LCSW, and I was just was outstanding. Okay. Um, so the, you 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 know the level of expertise is generally better. Um, the MDs rarely do therapy, so it's really hard to find an yeah, MD that they does refer that it stuff. Out, right? They they refer it out, but yeah. they often know who to send to that are good. Okay. So you can so one of the the ways ideal ways to do this if you have the resources and insurance and stuff. First, get a, a psychiatric evaluation. You know, what is my diagnosis? What's mm -hmm. going on here? And w given that construct, what kinds of treatment are going to be most likely to help me? Mm -hmm. Now, most people don't do that. Right. Um, and it's always, you know, I always worry that, you know, I both worry that the MDs kind of overprescribe the meds, and I also worry that people that need meds never get to the MD and, you know, wonder why they don't get better or might really need it. Mm -hmm. Hopefully somebody enlightened will be judicious and careful and not throw meds on everybody. It's not the way to go. They're useful and sometimes very important, not all the time. Mm. Uh, and then if you have trauma, you need to be with somebody with uh, really ideally LCSW, PsyD, PhD after their name, okay. uh, who has explicit trauma therapy. And look okay. for things like EMDR and various kinds of, you know, there's all kinds of ways now to hook the brain and the body up. It's all about getting the brain and the body reintegrated. Well, that's where I want to go. Yeah. So I want to talk about heart, brain, what I call yeah. coherence yeah. or whatever. And you said you it's wanted to word. talk about that a little bit today. So one of the, I said earlier that I've done a lot of work. Some of that work has been therapy, mm. reading, having friends like you in my life that I talk, literally I've just become more self-aware. And a lot of times just my awareness of some of my behavioral patterns, it's lost some of its power over me. Oh, 100%. Th that's, why th that's why there's a whole category in treatment, frankly, called psychoeducation. Okay. And interestingly, my, early in my therapy, I had to understand what was happening before I felt comfortable going in. Going so I in. read a ton of stuff before the, the therapist was like, why do you, why do you, I just, I need to understand. I just need to. Well, for me, it was, it wasn't just that. It was like, I've produced an externally really pretty good life. Yeah. And I was afraid, if I'm being candid, that if I change some of these patterns that I had in my life, that although maybe I'd have oh, a little bit more zen in peace, but I'd it. lose my edge. Yeah, I'd lose yeah. my success. Yeah. I, by the way, I think my audience listening resonates with what I just said deeply. Well, he, but here's the thing about treatment and, and healing. 
you have to be one of the your brain hates change our brain fight changes yep. just the way we hate we don't want our arm cut off we don't want our we don't want to change fundamentally who who our brain thinks we are mm -hmm. but you have to be prepared to become whoever you're supposed to be well wow, that's good and, and and that is a really hard thing for people to do i, I went through it myself mm -hmm. it's it's you have to kind of let go uh, and let things happen and it, your brain fights you and that's kind of why when I recommend professionals get involved, that's that's their skill set is working around and through those resistances. That's one of the m most important things someone said because what I ended up finding out because this is like an achiever audience overall, right? Mm. I ended up finding out that in fact I externally produced way more abundance in my life when I had patterns that served me in my life and I gave myself the gift of a little bit more equanimity mm. and peace in my life. One of the things I did also work on, though, was what I would, I'd like you to elaborate on because you'd be better at it than me. But I've worked on small things all the way to like my breathing. Oh, sure. To, you know, alter my HRV rate so that I've got a little bit more heart and brain coherence, which 100%. most people don't know about. So just rift on well, that. Well, I just, uh, there's a guy named uh, Stephen Porges. Okay. If you want to read about the neurobiology of attachment and regulation, Alan Shore is your guy and Peter Fonagy, who really. Uh, has worked out this uh, socio-emotional exchange system, which is something that's um, evolutionarily built into not just who our, our bodies, but actually into our development. Mm. And so there is, I'm going to have trouble explaining this in a way that's cohesive, but I'm going to try. The, the brain, the base of the brain, the brainstem, the cranial nerves, and the autonomic and parasympathetic nervous systems mm -hmm all develop together and are embedded in the face, the ear, the vocal cords, through something called the branchial pouches, which is these things that develop into our face and neck and whatever, and the sympathetic outflow to our heart and gut. Okay, mm -hmm. And it turns out, it's obviously the face and our voice and our ear is how we exchange emotionality. We, we are exquisitely sensitive to what's going on in other people's faces. And what goes on in our faces can have micro, micro changes that the other person, maybe not on a conscious level, is able to read and receive as, as information mm. about the other person's emotional states. So this, this a we, we ultimately learn to regulate our emotions through being in and around other people. Mm. Our identity comes from being in and around mm. other people. We, you know, we have, like we said, the brain is embedded in the body, but the brain body is embedded in a social system. Mm. And how it manifests, and you, you mentioned earlier about you know, trends and things and how they affect people, they do. I'm interested in that. I'm not an expert in that, but I read a lot about that stuff these days. Uh, history is one of my weak spots, so I've read a ton about it, trying to make sense of it all. But the socio-emotional exchange system is also connected through various nuclei in the brainstem to the the you know vagus nerve, yes, the gut, the gut mm -hmm. and then the sympathetic outflow. Some like seventy or eighty percent of the vagus is an inflow to the brain. When I went to medical school, we were taught, well, the vagus is a system that you know decreases your, you know, maybe changes your acid secretion in your stomach and slows your heart down. Right. No. Okay. 70% of it is getting information from your body and taking it back to the brain. To the brain. Goes it's, that way. It's crazy. Goes that way. And it and it's deeply embedded in this socio-emotional exchange system. And he has all this data about how heart rates change and breathing change mm -hmm. with our emotional states. It's from infancy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, listen, we're all carrying around some form of stress, big or small. 
And you don't want to keep things bottled up. It's healthy to talk out loud with somebody about things that are bothering you or that are weighing on your mind or just decisions that you need to make. And that's why therapy from BetterHelp is one of the most helpful things you can do for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it'll empower you to be the best version of yourself. And it's not just for those that have experienced major trauma. Therapy is for people that just want to work through things and maybe learn to make decisions better, work through an emotion that's not serving them right now. And so if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, it's flexible, and it can be suited to your schedule. All you got to do is fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll get matched with a licensed therapist. If you don't click, you can switch therapists anytime you want for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash EdShow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash EdShow. Hey guys, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. You know, in all of my businesses, and I've been blessed to have several of them, I've used Indeed now for a number of years. And the main reason I do it is, I, if you're like me, I don't want to waste a bunch of time interviewing people that aren't qualified for the positions that I have. It's one of the hardest jobs in the world, right? Or they are qualified, but they're not interested in making the move at the given time. And so with Indeed, you have a thing called Instant Match where they match you with quality candidates within 24 hours, and you're in front of people that want the job, that are qualified for it, and that you probably want to hire. I wouldn't go anywhere else. They've delivered great candidates to multiple businesses that I have right now. So here's what's great. Listeners and viewers on my show, you get a $75 sponsored job credit right now to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MyLet. Just go to Indeed.com slash MyLet, which is M-Y-L-E-T-T, right now. And you can support our show by saying you heard about Indeed here. That would be great, by the way. Indeed.com slash MyLet. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. From infancy. infancy. What have you done? in that world for yourself do you do, do i like do the breathing, breathing stuff i i try to do that I, i'm yeah. not a religious um mm. my thing has been the the psychotherapeutic process i'm not quite sure where i'm going with this but as it pertains to breathing and heart rate and, mm. and facial expressions and stuff i know when i'm around great therapists that are highly attuned to their patients because when i see them work or i interact with them mm. i notice i start breathing with them too interesting my, my literally my heart rate and breathing starts syncing up with that other person yeah and and i and i and when i become aware of i've actually been with this one woman who i've become close with who treats treats sex addiction actually i saw her in a video working with a patient and i noticed it was happening to me and i went oh this woman has got no this way woman's got powers and so i got to know her and lo and behold you know she really is an exquisite therapist mm -hmm. and they can just be fully present and attuned to that person on not just a attentive attentional level but your the whole body is an instrument and if you've ever been in a therapeutic process where your body is present like that it's weird not not i've, I've been the subject of it as a patient mm. and i've helped other people by being the antenna mm. and you experience things and smell things and hear things that are not yours and you know it because you've never experienced these things before mm. and and they're really the I'll, I'll tell you a story in a second about yeah. one of my favorite story with this. I tell it all the time. But the real art in, in the therapeutic process is not just receiving, listening with your whole body, I call that, mm. but knowing when to bring it in the room. Mm. In other words, when to go, you know I'm having an experience. Uh, and I'll tell you a story about that. I, I had this guy that was severely traumatized. And usually it's traumatized parts of the self that are needing attention that aren't the patient isn't even aware, isn't there in the room with that patient at the time. It's sort of a walled off part of themselves right. that's screaming for some kind of attention. 
And uh, wow. this guy was coming in, and, and as he would sit down every day, I started hearing the opening riff in Mad Men. <laughs> da, 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 da. I, I was like, where is that coming from? Holy like, shit. I don't hear that normally. Oh and I thought, well, isn't that interesting? And damn it, every time he would start, what? he walked in the room. Well, then it got weirder. Then, uh, as we were working together, it wasn't that long either, a few visits. Um, I started feeling like I was that shadowy character falling through the buildings, right? Like, yes. So I had that feeling, and I was like, whoa, this is interesting. But I didn't bring it up with the patient because he was talking about horrible trauma and all these horrible things that happened to him. And then um, about halfway through uh, one of these visits later, uh, music kicked in, I'm falling, and all of a sudden I experienced myself as a baby falling through these buildings. As I talk about it now, it constricts my chest. It was an overwhelming experience. I couldn't I couldn't stay with it. It was like it just took my breath away. It's like this incredibly traumatic feeling. And uh and I thought I have to bring it into the I have to I have to bring it up. Yeah. And I said, listen, uh I actually interrupted him. He was yeah. telling another traumatic story. I said, look, wow. I'm having an experience and I'm wondering if this is meaningful to you. And I told him what I've been experiencing. Yeah. He became furious, stormed out of the room. You and your psychobabble. How dare you? You think you know what you're talking about? And just ran out of the room. Whoa. And I thought, mm, maybe that wasn't the right time to bring that in. <laughs> Comes back in the next day, and he sits mm. down calmly and says, how did you know? He goes, how did you know? All I hear is the baby, the baby, the baby screaming in my head. I, I, it's going all the time. I, and, and, it was, and because of the depth of that attunement, he and I were, he trusted me. And, and by the way, if you've been traumatized, trust is a big deal. He, we were able to kind of work together for a while. And I, wow. and I always see that. Wow, wow. Yeah. And so I would get people in, in working with people with trauma and addiction and stuff. I'm always getting them at the front end, at the beginning yeah. of their treatment. And, and I really always conceived of my role, my one other than get them through the medical stuff, to teach them that you could be fully appreciated. I can fully experience you. And you can trust that. You can stay yeah. close to another person and they don't abuse. They don't, it's mm. con nothing. You just be, they'll be there for you. Wow. You. Makes me emotional just thinking about it. Yeah, it makes and, me emotional. Yeah, and um, the part of it that makes me emotional is that, to understand how connected humans can actually be together. It's unbelievable. Right. It's unbelievable, right. right? Right. And so when you ask, can, can, and that's, and you know, it's weird, it's right, it's almost psychic-y mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And and every therapist who does this kind of work has had these experiences where you feel a pain somewhere that's not mm -hmm. yours or you hear music or you see something. And, um, but of course, then we we affect each other on a on a on a macro scale too, right? right. I yeah. I don't understand why there are these huge trends, you know, why it happens. I'm trying to understand that, yeah. uh, and it feels to me like it's sort of French Revolution type trend, you know, like right. where there, people are bringing out guillotines and things. And Same here. Culture. We I want to we're going to get into that before our time runs up today. But I wanted on the topic of having these experiences, mm. Mm, man, emotional. I know. Good. We do yeah. that here. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm good. glad that you're doing that. Um, yeah. You just. I'll be honest with you. I'm a little guarded because you flagged something in me right there. Uh, yeah. That uh, maybe I'll tell you privately. It's so up to you. I'm gonna tell you privately. Uh, listen, the, the, yeah. the, the goal is not to out people. <laughs> yeah. Right. Even, no, the goal it, is to be present yeah. while you have your experience. Well, I'll ask you this question. I have yeah. friends that have had these very unique experiences. It wasn't been with another human being, but it's been with adding a chemical to their body. So oh, I'm curious. Like ayahuasca or something. I'm curious of what you think about psychedelic yeah. treatment yeah. and so, or ayahuasca stuff too. So I'm actually trying to work on a television show right now where we explore some of this stuff because mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by it, and mm -hmm. I've met some, I mean, 
excellent psychiatrist that swear, swear. this is the yeah. and and it, it's not goofy yeah. fringy these yeah. are mainstream psychiatrists who really feel like it helps them get through things that they mm. couldn't get through any other way which i i have no doubt that's true yeah uh the problem is as with everything today, the excesses. Yes. Yeah, the excesses. Like, like how are we going to use this? How are we going to know where to use What's the right patient, the right circumstance, the right dosing, the mm-hmm. right duration? We don't have that yet. Yep. And the potential to do harm is profound. Mm-hmm. And I've seen bad things. Uh, from, oh, I. Yeah, people using ibogaine and ayahuasca to try to deal with drug addiction. Yep. And in all except for one case, and I've seen dozens, maybe hundred of these people that do this, and uh, they all stop using for six months, and they all go back. Okay, did not know that. Okay, <laughs> except one who left permanently, okay. and I'm thinking that guy was not an addict, but was dependent. Was dependent. That's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of them had really significant personality changes, mm-hmm. and that drives me crazy. That people go, well, were they happier? Were they nicer? Were they less obnoxious? Like mm-hmm. you're. You can't make a judgment about a chemical changing somebody's personality or brain. People's personality and brain change in therapy, but that person is in control of those changes Mm -hmm. at all times. That's a great point. And at least, you know, with the properly done, Mm -hmm. certainly should be. I think no therapist would intrude on that. But you give a chemical and now you're a different person, the ethics of that are completely untenable to me, Mm -hmm. completely. And so you're not there yet. Well, no, no, I am there. I just, I just, I just want to get the good data. I want to, you know, mm. which patient, how much, how long, right, and what are the risk reward for that. But it will be, it will be good. I have no doubt about it. Yeah, I've had friends that have had great experiences, and I've had friends that have said, "Listen, it was a really dark experience, and it's altered me for the negative." So I really don't know that. I mean, you and I were talking about some mutual friends of ours before we started, and one of them has sort of gone on this journey recently, and so, and they thought theirs was pretty good, but I'm. I'm curious. Most people do. And by the way, you'll mostly hear good things. But again, I, you know, I when when people want to argue that you know, look, they used to give morphine to alcoholics to treat their alcoholism. Why? Because they were less noxious when they were on mm. morphine. They were less of a pain in the ass. Mm. It's like you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> so, what about people that you said something in something I was watching the other day about like that a lot of these addictions are just ways to self soothe oneself, self regulate. Okay, self regulate. What about someone? You talk about different drugs and excess. I have friends now that used to take cannabis, would use weed socially, and then it increased a little bit more. Mm. And I, I've not really ever done that. I don't have anything against it. I'll, I feel like ninety-three percent of my friends now pop gummies or do something, right? But then I've got dudes that are all the way up to like to the dabbing state on a regular basis. Dabbing, right? you got to look at it. Okay. My daughter's a recovering cannabis addict, and okay. uh, that's that's what she taught me. Actually, she goes, "Listen, if your patients are dabbing." It's a problem. That's the problem. Yeah, and what's the problem with it? What can happen? You can have actually gut issues from it too, can't you? Vomiting, very common, super common, okay. unexplained vomiting, and multiple workups. Doctor tells you it's reflux, it's gallbladder, blah blah blah. It's the weed. It's the weed. It's if the weed. you're dabbing, especially, it's the weed. So, what's your sure. overall Doctor Drew stance on weed? My, I'm agnostic on the legalities. I've always been. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't create the laws. I just deal with whatever mm-hmm. the people want. Um, when things are illegal, it helps me help people who have a problem. Mm-hmm. But leverage, even in this, you mean? What's that? It's a kind of leverage. Of leverage, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. even in this state, we can't leverage even with cannabis, with, even with opiates. I mean, just, mm-hmm. can't, nobody can do it. So, so you know, it's legal, fine. Uh, I know it helps a lot of people. Excellent. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd rather treat a cannabis addict than an opiate addict. That's for sure. sure. Mm-hmm. 
and if somebody is chronic pain that's controlled with cannabis, good for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you want to, and if you can recreate, and you, I have tons of friends and mm-hmm. that use it regularly, and they're fine. It doesn't seem to affect them. But there are people, young people particularly, that it seems to makes them rigid in their thinking. It can make them a little kind of psychotic in their process. You'll the 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 sign is they'll always say, "You're not listening to me." That's the for some mm-hmm. reason that's the sign. You're not listening. Okay. It's like. No, I was listening. You were being aggressive. Okay. And that's kind of a psychotic process. That might that's be too strong. I would never think word. aggression came from weed, but okay. When it's when it's when they're irritable. It's irritability okay. more than okay. aggression, I suspect. Okay. Um but they have to use a lot over long periods of time. Uh and if you can't stop and if you have family history of alcoholism and you mm-hmm. can't stop, well that's a that's now we call that addiction. Um and it can, you know, Alex Berenson's book, you know, Tell Your Children, turned out to be all true, that it can induce psychotic, real psychotic illness in some people. Rare, not right, common. Right. Again, it's, look, any chemical, I, I was, you mentioned I was raised by a family practitioner. He hammered into me, medicines are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Only, you only expose yourself to them when the risk reward is worth it. Mm-hmm. Cannabis as a medicine works has certain risk. Be be realistic about the risk. That's all. I just don't want to have my, maybe it's because I was raised by an alcoholic. I don't want to have like exogenous chemicals be my crutch to which I want to f- experience life and feel. Yeah, it. That's just it, for me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, but me too. Other people, it enhances their life. Right. I, and by I, the I way, the fact that you say there is an addiction, like I've got a lot of friends so you can't get addicted to weed. And you're Talk saying, to my daughter. Okay. She, she's not missed a meeting in 16 months. God bless her. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah and that's it's wonderful. a new person too. And, her, yeah. and she was told she had depression. She was told she had bipolar disorder. She was told she had esophagitis, and that's why she was vomiting every day. All went away. All went Completely away. So away. it was it was the weed. All right. The thing I've always wanted to ask you, and anybody who I consider to be an addiction specialist, mm-hmm. I want to learn how to leverage this stuff for the good. So, like, I think the majority of my life, this is gonna be a tough question. I don't know if anyone's ever asked you All this right, before. I've, I have been addicted to progress. Yeah. I've been addicted to, I often say, I'm addicted to the expansion of my being, meaning I'm yeah. fascinated and curious about this. You already look like you want to comment on it. Well, because I have the same problem. I have the same <laughs> thing. I, I, Is it, it a problem, though? Well, and, 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 and I don't think it's quite an addiction. Okay. So I think I want it's you, more our mood disturbance. Okay, or maybe it is. So, but, but I think there are a lot of people that listen to my show that go, hey, I wasn't abused as a kid. I had a pretty good life. And my stuff's the reverse, man. I'm sitting here. I'm relatively emotionally stable. Mm. But I'm not producing or experiencing life the way I'd like to. And it seems like you people with all these addictive, compulsive-type personalities do better. better. And so what can we learn? That's the hard question. No, it's not a hard question. It's it's an unfortunate reality that people with psychopathologies tend to towards excess in all things mm-hmm. and whatever we you know whether it's our mood disturbance or my trauma or an addiction yes listen the first thing i learned when i got to start working in a psychiatric hospital is that the very very wealthy and the very very poor had much more in common with each other than with the rest of us because true. that's where all the psychopathologies are sort of located mm-hmm. the excesses that get you to this these two places mm-hmm. are similar Mm. Uh, so it's about getting the balance right again. It's, and and the, all the things you talk about, you, you use the word bliss a lot, which I never use, and I like that. I should be using it more. Thank I you. talk about um, more about being nourished or being fulfilled mm-hmm. or being, having a, a – a, 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 Got, you know, this word called eudaimonia, I've sure you heard. Like, yes. And, and that kind of life, fulfillment and things. But I think you're right. You can you can ask for a little more. You can ask for sort of bliss at times anyway. I have a talk on I give called Blissful Dissatisfaction. And I, I want to live in that state. And what I mean by that is 
I think people conflate satisfaction and happiness. Bliss and satisfaction are two different things. I am, I want to live in a state of bliss as much as I can, but I want to remain to some extent dissatisfied, meaning I still want to grow. I still want to experience. I still want to challenge myself. Is, is it the growth? Because that's what I'm addicted to. Yes, I'm addicted to the growth. Yeah, I think too. I've I become addicted. Static is not interesting me too. To me. I think I'm addicted to the growth, and I think I get a lot of significance out of contributing. Well, it's, here's the thing about addiction. It's got to have consequences, mm-hmm. right? Somewhere. There's got to be consequence. And mm-hmm. if you're not having consequence, it's not an addiction, mm-hmm. or at least it's not a full-blown addiction. I know what the consequences have been for yeah, me Yeah, but if, if, they're not, if they're not, well, True addiction has to have progressive consequences. Okay. Progressive use in the face of progressing consequences. Then I'm super hyper-dependent on growth, then, yeah. to use your I, terminology. I think that's right. I think I am, too. I think that's right. And I think that's why I think it's more a mood stuff. It may be. You <laughs> may be. some of the trauma sprinkled in and stuff and the personality stuff. But there, but you you can choose to lean into these things mm-hmm. just because they have names and are psychopath. See, that's what I hate about it. So do I. Yeah. yeah. But when you label things too much, people yeah. think you're being pejorative. Yes. I, I, these are just ways of understanding the human experience. Right. It, it, Look, if you want a fighter pilot, the best fighter pilot that I can think of in terms of how their internal world is constructed would be an alcoholic narcissist. <laughs> that would be really a great true. fighter pilot. Really and true. could be difficult if you're the wife. Yep. Not necessarily. Yep. But, man, a good fighter pilot. I think the, so, the the main, I think, negatives, by the way, that's 100% true. And I think the main, like, there's no doubt in my mind, a guy like Tom Brady, who I've been around a little bit, but I don't know him super well. But he's got to have all kinds of stuff. He's got to have all kinds of just <laughs> yeah. crazy, hyper-dependent yeah. slash addictive type personality traits. Something's driving that. There's and, there's and, some, our motivational systems are hooked into our emotional systems. Yeah. And, and by the way, driving. maybe that's what life's about. There's some trade-offs for everything. Yes. You said there's a consequence yes. to every behavior, and you've said this, and and you have to decide in advance that maybe some of these – like I think in my case, if I'm being candid – I have a beautiful and incredible family. I love my children. I love my wife. I love my my mom. My dad's past. I love my sisters. But if there's been a consequence, it's been to my family. Me now, too. There's been, by the way, massively beautiful consequences for my yeah, family as well. You're right. But from time, yep. presence, yep. things like that, Same thing. those and, are the consequences. Gad Sad. You know who he is? Gad Sad. You should interview him sometime. Okay. He has a book on happiness coming out, and he had me read it. And one of his big Is points- that Sad Guru? Gad Sad. Okay. A, he's an evolutionary biologist. Okay, guy, nice a different guy. guy. It's Sad Guru on my show. Okay. And he, um, he asked, you know, what are your regrets? Yeah. And he said regrets fall into two categories, not having done stuff or, or because of something you did. And I have zero regrets on the not side. I, I'm just yeah. grateful for all of it. On the having done side, it's exactly what you're saying. Is that yeah. my kids remind me occasionally I wasn't around. Yeah, me and too. And that cuts deep. But thankfully, as they've gotten older, they're able they're able to integrate that mm-hmm. and try to understand that you know you got giant triplets. I was, I was working my ass off. I right. was like I was they scared. Do. I do think <laughs> as they get older, if that by the way beautifully said at the end of my life i'm willing to have some regrets of things i did i don't want to have a life of regret of things i didn't attempt to do exactly 100 percent. as long as long as those things now there's a caveat i'm you know i always try to live my life you know sort of the kantian imperative like there's a camera going all the time and behave that way at all times and so you know the things I did can never violate that principle. I, then I would. Then it's kind of like it's I, also an ethical problem yeah, as well as a regret. I, I can't say that I've never done that, but that's as also a, my ambition. You, when you're 17, you're right, excused. Right, right, you're excused. right. I maybe 17 <laughs> yeah. hours ago, but <laughs> having said that, no. But having said that, you're you're 100 right. Now, what I, I I think my kids as they've gotten older have an appreciation yeah, for the too. other things that that's afforded them. And I think and, it's important and, for the and, younger and, people listening that are raising young families to hear they will eventually, doesn't mean you shouldn't work on being more present correct. and all that. 
Correct. It, it's it, it's because the, they too then they have to struggle the same way you did. That's yeah. what they're and they're looking at it going, oh oh now I get it. Yeah, you know that's what I found. We don't have that much more time. But I want to ask you a couple things. Um, why are we in culture beginning to treat each other so horribly? And I've watched I've watched even some things with you. You took some positions that you felt strongly about, and you like people wanted to cancel you. They wanted to ruin you. They um, we are harsh. It seems to me we are more mean than we've ever been. It seems to me that maybe technologies influence this. Maybe technology has contributed to a form of narcissism where we're more self-centered with likes and views and someone pay attention to me and it seems to me that it's gotten worse maybe has actually turned a little bit lately where people are just fatigued on all this stuff I but i look at comments i look at young people i look at these videos you see on twitter and instagram of people beating each other up in schools mercifully Awful. and all of it what is happening to us that we treat each other so horribly i think about this all the time and, and i don't have a definitive cohesive answer to that. I just look at history. Uh, and what I see is when there's a large amount of childhood trauma, uh, particularly at the hands of the caretakers, you see populations grow into mobs when they're in their adulthood and young adulthood that start scapegoating, that this scapegoating mechanism seems to be a function of narcissism. And so we've talked a lot about the narcissistic turn. It's certainly a function of trauma and victimhood and all that stuff that is part of narcissism. Mm. But the the feeling of freedom, the you're free to harm other people as a mob is the most one of the more disgusting features that humans have. Mm. And narcissism, the the two big liabilities, it's it it can have lots of positives associated with it, but the two big liabilities is envy which is different than jealousy. Jealousy is, you know, Ed's, Ed's oh, you're going to talk about I it. I know. I needed to ask you the difference between envy and jealousy. Okay, I cannot so, believe you just went there. Yeah, That's awesome. So I'm jealous of what you have. Mm. It makes me uncomfortable, but damn, I'm going to work hard to get what you have. And yeah. good for you. You know, right. I'm glad for you. Envy is, you ha you're an asshole. I got to bring you down to my size. Mm -hmm. So envy is about not bringing anybody up, but bringing people down, down to whatever level of shame and you're feeling yourself because of what that person having more exposes you to. Mm -hmm. So it's envy, envy, and then lack of empathy. So if you don't empathize with the person you're scapegoating and you have envy towards them, Ooh, it's on. That's it's a very powerful, problematic. And then you have the gratification of the mob where you, you gratify each other for what you're doing. You co-sign each other's BS. And we're in this, to, you know, we're, we're taking out the bad person. Mm. So that's the fundamental attribution error, right, that we call that in psychology, where you mm. attribute someone's behavior to the contents of who they are yes. and what they're, rather than God knows what went into right. the choices of their, a particular behavior. Their opinion isn't good or bad. It's, it's excuse me, bad. not right or wrong. It's they're bad. That's that is a coward's approach mm -hmm. to managing an argument, mm -hmm. a disagreement. Mm -hmm. That is, and I, I've never thought I'd use words like courage and coward yeah. so much as I do these days. This is a time for courage. Mm -hmm. You, you got it. You have to stand up and take the punches because this is bad for everybody when the mobs are allowed to act out like this. I agree, a hundred percent. It worries it's me hard. deeply. It worries me that those wounds you're talking about that happened to us in our childhood. And you, by the way, you said the worst is when it comes from caretakers. But mm -hmm. I'm worried that this generation that's coming up is just being so wounded repeatedly by one but, another that that what's going to happen in fifteen, twenty years? I, in our I don't culture? know. They they are, but I think 
see, I think they're I think they're being raised by the parents that had been part of the trauma trend. And so it's sort of an intergenerational thing rather than a direct mm-hmm. trauma. And mm-hmm. and I think as a result, I mean so the the problem with the families not being stable, I would say, is their biggest problem. Mm-hmm. So they're very uh, distrustful of society generally because their unit didn't work for them and hurt them and mm. made them feel bad. Um, so, so that to me is kind of the challenge. But, but th- that I think as they get older, they're not going to be as prone to the mob stuff so much. Mm. God, that is my prayer. That is, please hear my prayer to God. <laughs> that, that is the case. Well, me too. I just worry that technology allows us. It to makes it worse for mo- sure. It's easier for to sure. gra- it's either to gather the mob. Well, that's where the mob's doing its thing. I right. I predicted in my book on narcissism 15 years ago. I know. I, I wanted the to write a whole chapter. chapter. What was it? Yeah. The mirror effect. I wanted yeah. to write a whole chapter on the French Revolution because I kept saying I, that's the only period of history I can find this kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. And I worry there are going to be guillotines. I didn't foresee social media and the cancel culture. As becoming the actual guillotine. Yep. Okay, last question. By the way, I've loved today. Oh, me too. Yeah, Wait, really, I knew I would. I yeah, talked to you for two seconds yeah, and I knew I would. I knew that I would. And I want to have you back on. Hopefully, I can right. get you to come back on maybe every single year. Before I ask you this last question, you got like a million podcasts you're involved with, yes, but yes. I want to make sure we've at least promoted. Where do you want people to go find you? you, you my wife will kill me if I don't send you to this one particular okay, podcast because okay. she produces it, and it's been very interesting. Okay. I think your group would like it. She and I, do, she produces a streaming show at drdrew.tv. You can see some of the back episodes there and at drdrew.com. Three o'clock Pacific time, typically Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, although we move it around a little bit, but it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Wednesday in particular, uh, a, a doctor named Kelly Victory joins me, and she has very different ideas than I do. Uh, and that's, again, my wife's genius in sort of mixing it up. And then we have been interviewing people that have been silenced during the pandemic. I, I kind of a naturally, I'm naturally curious when people have been silent, people particularly very high-level professionals with exquisitely, you know, decorated careers. Suddenly, those are you know you don't want to listen to those yeah. guys. I I want to listen to so them, I. and I have learned a ton by talking to these people. Okay. Some of them are over their skis in certain areas and stuff. I don't agree with everything, of course, but um, I I and I think it helps with some of the paranoia out there that people are, you know, when you when you have people being silenced and marginalized and people that are already paranoid can't get the information. They get more paranoid. Mm-hmm. So I want to bring it all into the sunlight and just talk to things. And I'm trying to get alternative opinions in there too. The, it, and Tuesday and Thursday is when I tend to talk to people that are uh, more mainstream okay. because I'm more mainstream. That's the reality. It's okay. just- I'm going to listen to the Wednesdays then. Yeah, Wednesday, Wednesday is the one that people tend to like because okay. it's, it's okay. a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of back shows. I mean, I discovered so many things by talking to these people. For instance, did you know that the six feet social distancing was invented out of whole cloth in an office in the White House one day? It had no science, no basis. They were trying to decide between three feet and 60 feet and finally thought, oh, we can get them to do this. Let's make it six feet. And the no. world adopted that? No, I didn't. And it has, there's, to this day, zero evidence that that does anything. <laughs> and it's just that kind of stuff. I, just one little aha moment after another, you kind of put these things together and go, wow, what my, a mess. My favorite thing about that was when I would stand in an airport line and you had to be six feet from each other in the airport line. And then we just walk onto the plane and stand right next to each other. Exactly. It's so crazy. So That's stupid. the same thing about masks. <laughs> Gonna put you put your mask down during bites. When it's already eating. down. That's it. The virus is in your nose. That's when it. There's no point in using it. And oh. the people don't understand this virus was transmitted not on droplets, mm. on aerosol. Mm. Aerosol. You don't see aerosol. It's not dry. The masks stop the droplets. You're gonna get canceled again, Drew. It's coming right. It's now. just the way it is. It's just the way it is. I, listen, if these things worked, I'd be all for them. I know you just, would. Be. Uh, I know you would. Be. All right. Last question, sort of about happiness and uh, your own. Yeah. So. In general, the final question is, how does one become happier? But I'm going to give you a little lead in to give you a little bridge. You did this show 
I don't know what it was called. You can tell us what it was called to pump it. But it was this thing where you like did basically like the challenge of your lifetime or like all these military oh, things. I think I saw you like. Were you like falling out of a helicopter? Bungee dumping out of a helicopter? Not bungee, falling, falling out of, out of, out of a helicopter. the Red Sea. And I'm like, what the heck is he doing? So you're in your 60s when you're doing this. And then I went, you know what? At least for me, one of the pathways to my own bliss or happiness yeah. is curiosity, yeah. is a challenge, is yes. doing something new. If I want to shift my life, I've got to do something different. Mm-hmm. And so. What do you think, what would you say? Someone said, Dr. Drew, I want to be happier. What do I do? And and loop in that show and what you did is maybe part of it. So that was a specific challenge to my happiness, a special <laughs> forces show on Fox. And they called me. I'm like, come on. It's like, what are you mm-hmm. doing? Again, well, you can take me to Utah or something. Mm-hmm. No, the Middle East. I'm like, oh, God, how am I going to do that? Crazy. But I, at the time, was feeling one of the things that challenges your happiness is aging. And yeah. you, it's even if you're prepared for it, it's challenging. Mm-hmm. And I was feeling old. I'd had recurrent ups of diverticulitis. I have mm-hmm. prostate cancer. I, mean, I have all these things. Oh. It's all it's all good. If mm-hmm. you got to get a cancer, trust me, that's the one to get. Yeah. And uh, and that's all. I, you know, I had my prostatectomy 11, 12 years ago, so I'm okay. all fine. Okay. And um, but the diverticulitis was kicking up, and I was feeling weak, and I had some long COVID symptoms, and I, I was kind of whiny. And when they called me, I thought. I'm going to give this a try. So I started training very hard, like with packs and hills and sprinting. And I, and I started feeling great, feeling better. I thought, well, maybe this is what I needed. So mm. that was sort of what m- caused me to fight for the for the job. And I went and so, got heat stroke. I didn't know I was going to get a heat stroke. It was a whole other problem. But, uh, but physically, I was totally ready for it and had a great time. So path one is change your physiology. Change your physical just, body. Yeah, change. Yeah. It, well, it also, but I work out regularly, but I change what I was thinking even about my workout and what my goals were and things. So change okay. your goals, really. Okay. Change your goals. Um, secondly, distinguish between eudaimonia, and we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and hedonic happiness. Hedonic, I, when I first started hearing all the talk about happiness, which was years ago, because there was a lot of happiness stuff happening maybe mm-hmm. 15 years ago. Yeah. And I thought, they better define what they're talking about because no one happier than my heroin addicts after they get their hit in the morning. They are happy. Mm. That is not a good life. Mm. And they don't stay happy. Mm. Uh, So, you know, hedonic happiness, euphoria, you just go from one to the next. You're never fulfilled by that. It's just one. Not that euphoria is bad. I'm not saying that Mm -hmm. having occasional Mm -hmm. blissful euphoria is a bad thing. I'm saying to need that that's not happiness okay. happiness is a much more nourishing fulfilling interpersonal process it's other people that give us our sorts of happiness mm. there's no doubt in my mind it's it's leading a good life which is a certain kind of life again i i've lived by a kantian you know first principle uh and uh that you know a, a good life isn't always happy necessarily like mm-hmm. with did jesus was he always happy right. but i would say that was a good life yeah he was not happy at the good end. Good point. No, so, but, clearly but, not. But be prepared for some unhappiness mm-hmm. because good lives done well it can mm-hmm. be. That's the challenge again. That can be challenging. But focus on eudaimonia, which is nourishment, which is other people, which is some faith, whatever that is to you. Mm-hmm. Gratitude, very important. Mm-hmm. Service, what again? How, not, not saving the world, mm-hmm. one human being at a time. Mm-hmm. Just being available to that person. Closeness. Sleep right, work out, do do all those good things, yeah. you know, exercise properly, balance, and and these things tend to kind of and and, and then make sure you're connected to yourself, yeah, and and you're and you're true to yourself. If you don't feel your feelings, get some treatment yeah. because having that spontaneous self that emerges from our bodies, those feelings that that come out of us, being connected to those are 
they're greatly important in terms of knowing who you are and what you want to do, but also in terms of being available for others for yeah. that thing we call intimacy, that closeness. And that's where a lot of fulfillment is. What an unbelievable conversation. I got news for you. This is going to go ballistic. Oh, good. No, That's it's, good. it's going to go, so. it's, it's going to go ballistic. Um, I want to also just tell you again, thank you for helping my family. Oh. My, you uh, helped I my just, he, he Look, your dad just saw me talking truths about his condition, yeah. Yeah. and nobody was doing that at the time. It's why we did the show. Yep. Because it's so... I know so much about it. I was, I, that's why I want to give it back. It's because yeah. I, I, for a non-addict, non-sober person, I know way more than I should, yeah. and and it's also clear to me. And so that's what he was responding to. That, I just think God's amazing. I think the fact that you helped my dad um, gave me the change in my. No, you did, Drew. And, no, I understand, but yeah. I'm going to say the same thing that I know his sponsor would say to you. Yeah. It's like it's my happiness today. Yeah, it gives me my happiness. It's ironic, and then we're sitting here together. And I don't think I'd be sitting here with you had you not done that for my dad. And that's the ripple effect of helping one human being. Yes. It, oh, trust me, guys. When you see all the shittiness going on out there, I don't know if you're allowed to say okay. this stuff you on these shows, but to see the garbage going on out there, people attacking each other. Yeah. It can go the other way, everybody. Yeah. We're not we're not helping each other by doing that. Well, we helped a lot of people today. Good. Or you did. So Excellent. thank you. Well, it's your show, man. Yeah. Thank you very much. Anything I can ever do for you, I'm here. And I'm going to wave just, from the just, beach, just and you're going to let, let me in. I'll pretend I'm not there a lot, but one day I will walk out and wave you in. Right, fair enough. <laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, share the show, and uh, go check out Dr. Drew's show as well. Make sure you go get my book, The Power of One More. And just you know, take the things we said today and share it with somebody that you love. God bless you, everybody. Max out. This is The Ed Milet Show.